My partner Andre and I have been together for over a decade. Somewhere along the way, this happened. I sporadically get these urges to reorganize something in the house. The layout of the towels in the closet, the location of the food in the pantry, the furniture in one of the rooms, you get the idea. He, it kind of drove him crazy also. One day, after I'd reorganized something in the house, Andre asked me, is it that time of the month? I was kind of surprised by the question, but the answer was yes. And then Andre told me that he had noticed that every time I reorganized something, it was when I had my period. Until now, I'm not sure if this is just a coincidence or if there's some kind of physiological explanation. I'm kind of hoping that one of our guests today might know the answer. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, and welcome to the Running Book Reviews podcast, where we review running books to help you decide if you would like to read the book for yourself. We also hope that listening to us chat about running can help keep you motivated about your own running or maybe inspire you to try something new. My name is Liz, and with my co-host, Alan, we're going to talk with authors Neely Gracie and Cindy Kuzma about their new book, Breakthrough Women's Running. Breakthrough Women's Running is a guide to getting female runners to their next breakthrough in running, regardless of their running ability, wherever they sit on the spectrum of runners. The book's divided into four parts and covers everything from goal setting to training plans that you can follow for 5K through to the marathon distances. And there are even some walking programs uh, as well, so it covers everything. In between, it covers female-specific challenges like training at different times during your menstrual cycle, running through pregnancy, coming back to running postpartum and while best breastfeeding. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about the authors. Uh, Neely Spence Gracie, you may have heard of Neely. Uh, she began running in eighth grade and quickly saw success, which deepened her motivation to pursue big goals. At the high school level, she won four Pennsylvania state championships. Upon graduation, she attended Shippenburg University and became an eight-time Division II national champion. During Neely's time at Shippenburg University, she studied human communication and with a coaching minor because she knew she wanted to become a pro athlete and start coaching other runners. In 2012, she signed her first pro contract and married her husband, Dylan. In 2013, Get Running Coaching was born, Neely's website. Neely has two sons, Athens, born in 2018, and Rom, born in 2021, and has had two very different experiences with running after pregnancy. On the road, she's a three-time Olympic trials qualifier, and was top American at the 2016 Boston Marathon. And she is the 11th American female ever to break 70 minutes in the half marathon. She's looking forward to her next breakthrough season. She had a set, has a sight set on qualifying for her fourth Olympic trials in 2024. Neely is inspired by the running community to keep working towards her goals as an athlete, coach, and mother. Next, we have Cindy Kuzma. Cindy is a freelance writer, author, and podcaster and a regular contributor to a number of places, including Running's, Runner's World, Women's Running, and a wide variety of other fitness publications. She's also the co-author of another book, Rebound, Train Your Mind to Bounce Back Stronger from Sports Injuries. Cindy specializes in covering injury prevention and recovery, everyday athletes who accomplish extraordinary things, and the active community in Chicago. She's run 22 marathons, including seven Bostons, and she never gets tired of plotting her next breakthrough. So um, I guess the first question that we'll usually jump into after we introduce you and everything is, um, 
So how did you decide to write the book? And, uh, and in your case, what led you guys to work together on this project? Well, Cindy, you can start with that one because you were the one that reached out to me. Yes. So in, I should have looked up the exact date, but I believe it was sometime in 2018. Uh, Michelle Earl, who is the acquisitions editor at Human Kinetics, a publisher of many great running books, including Advanced Marathoning, which I know you two Mm -hmm. are very familiar with, um, Jack Daniels and other books. She approached me asking that she knew I enjoyed co-authoring books with experts. And she approached me saying that she really felt like there needed to be a book kind of like those other books, but specifically for women runners by women runners. And she wondered if I would be interested in working on that. And if so, if I could identify an expert who would be a good fit to collaborate with. And I said, yes, absolutely. And I know the perfect person. (laughs) Um, Neely had, had obviously been familiar with her career as an elite racer, And I'd interviewed her several times as an expert source for articles that I'd written for Runner's World and Women's Running and similar publications. She's kind of a triple threat as as someone with elite racing experience and a coach and someone who's really great at translating her um, considerable knowledge into language that everyday athletes can understand. So Michelle was in agreement. Uh, We reached out to Neely. She said yes. And I guess this is where she can pick up the part of the story. (laughs) Yeah, it was so perfect because I had always wanted to write a book. It was something that was almost like a bucket list thing for me because in college, I studied human communication and coaching, and I really was trying to find information and resources for female coaches and for kind of connecting communication and coaching um, because that's, you know, you can be the smartest coach in the world, but if you can't communicate it to your athletes, it's going to mean nothing. And so I, I kept trying to find this book and it didn't exist. And then you fast forward to, you know, the past few years, and I've been in a different phase of life with pregnancy and postpartum running and same thing. There was like very little information that was actually very helpful. And so whenever Cindy and Michelle reached out to me, it was just like a dream come true. And here we are. (laughs) It's like amazing how it all came together so well, even more beautifully than I imagined. So even if, even though you were sort of contacted after, after the idea, so to speak, the book actually sounds like it's written in your voice. So did you actually do a lot of the penning work in terms of, you know, writing it out? Yeah, interestingly. So Cindy and I worked really well together. I couldn't have asked for a better co-author in this whole experience. Um, It was really special to me. And basically how we did it was we did this, we would zoom and we would talk and talk for hours and hours to the point that we were like horse and couldn't talk anymore. That's Um, amazing. Yeah. And we just had for two years, pretty much a set day of the week where we would sit down for several hours and communicate. And then in between that, Cindy would send me questions and I would respond um, to those questions in written form. So she would hear it through my writing. Um, And then we would have the Zoom and we would talk and she would hear it in my actual voice. 
um, in maybe greater detail at that point. And then Cindy would kind of make me sound even better um, and more organized <laughs> and <laughs> less uh, crazy and uh, sporadic thinking um, than how I actually am. Um, and then it was so much more organized and put together into a very beautiful uh, Google Doc that then she would send me and I would read and edit as I wanted to. Um, and then we would move to the next chapter. And so each of those took several weeks. Um, and that's how we were able to come up with um, all of the chapters. And then I wrote out the, the training plans um, that are included in the book. And Cindy and I worked together on um, writing out the intros and all of those things. So it was really an awesome collaboration where we both were able to use our strengths. You've got quite a few um, little sort of cameos, little pieces that reflect, well, your experience nearly uh, very much, but also quite a lot of professional um, female high-profile athletes, in fact, running, runners. Is that your network or how did you do that? You yeah, just... how'd you get those? <laughs> yeah. No, I love that piece of our book. And I really wanted things to flow smoothly. So as you can see from reading the book, um, every chapter has a very similar approach. And so we start with a personal story from myself that is related to the topic of that chapter. And then we kind of discuss... Um, how to implement it, why to implement it, you know, the research behind it, maybe get an expert involved um, to share that the details on the topic. And then at the end, we have a story from another professional female um, that ties into whatever it is that we're discussing. And then we close out with a um, little kind of breakdown of the chapter, uh, a barrier to breakthrough. So if you're, if you're struggling with this, try this. Um, mm -hmm. And just making it really practical and easy. Uh, and so each chapter is that way so that there is something that every single person who reads it can get something out of that. And so I felt like having my personal story as well as another female runner's story was so important because with a lot of these topics like fueling and pregnancy and running, um, recovering, injury, I think it's really helpful for other runners to not only know that I've gone through it, but to know that other very top level professional athletes have gone through it as well mm -hmm. and that they're by far not alone. It's also interesting because like, it seems like all of these things are not like standard. I mean, like the, you know, like coming back from pregnancy and uh, being on your period and where you feel the best, like it doesn't seem to be standard. It, it There seems to be a lot of, you know, nuance and that you need to journal and figure it out for yourself. And that is really hard, I think. Yeah, it's so difficult. Go ahead, Cindy. Oh, yeah, I was just going to say that's exactly right. And I think that is why what Neely mentioned, it is really important that we had shared a lot of people's different experiences. So people could know not only have other people gone through this, but everyone has gone through it in a slightly different way. And while it's a challenge, um, if you persist through that challenge, the the rewards can be great. One of the, the well, the first the first word on the book is breakthrough. The title is actually Breakthrough Women's Running and Breakthroughs in Bigger and Bolder Letters. He raises the book up to show that he's actually got one and he's read it. Um, I like all those bookmarks in there. It's, 
definitely well read. Yeah. And <laughs> maybe we should just touch on that and just sort of ask ourselves or let us ask you, you know, what do you mean by breakthrough and what's the idea of breakthrough? Yeah, well, one thing that I, I was just out on a run and that's where I came up with the title breakthrough. And then the rest of it took a lot longer to figure out, but we knew breakthrough was the big word that we wanted to kind of focus on and have every chapter centered around. Um, and we also wanted to make sure that people knew that a breakthrough didn't have to be a once in a lifetime thing. A breakthrough can be a race or a run or anything that you are striving towards. Um, and the nice thing, and one of my favorite things about running is that it can meet you in many different phases of life. And those breakthroughs can happen in many different phases of life as well. And so I thought it was so cool when we wrote out the normal definition of a breakthrough and then what we really mean by a breakthrough. Um, and I think that's a really key element um, to kind of wrap your brain around as we, as you, as you read the book and then as you set your goals and you persist um, and work through, you know, all the different chapters and then set up a, a goal and a, and a training plan and an approach for yourself. I like that um, breakthrough doesn't just mean a PR. Absolutely. And we kind of try to demonstrate that using Neely's story right from the beginning in the book. You know, she had two breakthroughs. One was was her defining the defining performance of her professional athletic career, which is coming in first American in the Boston Marathon in 2016. But then the second big breakthrough was her first race back after having Athens and knowing that she could achieve a goal she set out for herself, even in that different phase of life. And the time looked different. Uh, the goal looked different, but the accomplishment that she felt after achieving that was no less. So we really wanted to make sure people understood that just as Neely said, different phases of your life, different ages, different other things that you have going on. It's always possible to, to achieve a breakthrough. So um, the, the other thing that's really great is, um, you know, when you're talking about goal setting, which is one of the first chapters, uh, you don't just tell people to set one goal, you tell them to set multiple goals. So maybe you want to explain that a little bit and, um, you know, how they would sort of just basically go from their A goal and then chart out the rest of them. Yeah, if I could just interrupt before you before you answer that, because if if I look at our club, you know, we're 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 a lot further down the elite tree than than you might even even you, Cindy, I've read uh, your multiple marathon achievements and uh, and stuff. But when when we talk to people in our club, we get the impression that they think, oh, you know, goal setting is sort of for uh, Go getters and elites and fast kids, yeah, and fast kids and cool kids, and I'm not either of those. So, <laughs> you know, maybe you could put it into context for for those people who might be listening to this. Yeah, well, we start off the book. Chapter one is called "Dream Big, Start Small," and it's all about goal setting. And we actually just started with it called "Dream Big," and then we decided to change it to dream big, start small, because we wanted people to recognize that it doesn't have to be big. 
you, you have to start where you're at. It may take one season of training. It may take a year It may take 10 years, whatever that big goal is for you. Um, but that you have to start small and you have to chip away. And that consistency is going to be the key to getting you there. Um, but that if you can have goal setting and you can focus on not just the outcome goal that is this big dream, big goal that you have, but also these process goals, which is the start small aspect, you can chip away um, and stay focused on what it is that you're wanting to do and where you're wanting to be, um, you know, down the line. And I think that's so key because so many people can set a big goal and they can say, Hey, I want to qualify for Boston. I want to break three. Um, I want to qualify for the Olympic trials, whatever that big goal may be. It can take a lot of time to get there and there needs to be a plan and there needs to be a lot of small daily things that you are doing in your lifestyle to help you towards that goal. Um, and that's where I think it's so helpful to have these smaller process goals that are lesser known. Certainly when we did our uh, sub three attempt last year, uh, one of the things we tried to do was we tried to make three goals, but we also tried to say, okay, well, we're doing some training and we're going to learn a lot during the training. And um, at, at the marathon, we'll either get success or we'll get all that learning. So it's mm -hmm. a question of which gift you get. Except our three goals were kind of all the same. It was sort of like, well, we want this time as our A goal, this time as our B goal, and this yeah, time as were. our C goal. <laughs> they were. But we did focus on the process in terms of the training is not mm -hmm. to achieve the goal. The training is a, a, an outcome in its own in terms of, of process understanding and, and, and learning to love your training and understand your, your body a little bit more. Absolutely. And that's something that I think is so important because we can only control so much during a training segment, right? Like we can be the most fit and ready and prepared. And on race day, it can be a hundred degrees and a hundred percent humidity. And there's nothing we can do about that terrible weather. Um, so it's important to recognize that there's so much to be gained from the process of the training cycle. Um, and that, that, what your body goes through during that training block never goes away, that there was something entirely achieved and a huge success in its own from those days, weeks, months of training. And yes, that one day of that one goal, you know, maybe didn't come to fruition the way that you had hoped, but that doesn't mean that everything was a failure. One of the things that I learned from talking with Neely and the other athletes in this book, including Sarah Hall, who we kind of profile in the first chapter is that everyone is a little bit different in terms of the kinds of goals that they set too. So for instance, someone like Sarah, you see her, she, she tells everyone, you know, I wrote a whole article about how she was going for the American record in the marathon here in Chicago this fall. And she's not yeah. shy about those big goals that may or may not be within her reach, but she is really motivated by telling people. And when she misses them, she doesn't see it as a failure. She sees it as another step along the way to her eventual success. And she knows that if she hadn't set such an ambitious goal, she wouldn't have reached the heights that she did in the first place. Whereas when talking with Neely about it, Neely's 
goals are usually a little bit just past the edge of what's comfortable for her at the time, she feels more motivated by setting that next step goal and then looking beyond after she kind of achieves that goal. So I think it's about knowing what your personality is for what your A, B, and C goals should be too. Like if you do have that healthy mindset of I'm setting these A, B, and C goals, but if I don't reach my A goal, I'm still going to be satisfied. Then it's great to have that huge goal out there for yourself and telling other people about it and and having other people hold you accountable. But if you're a person who gets a little more deflated by that, you might try a different approach and set a goal that's maybe just a little bit outside of your reach that time and then step it up the next time. Yeah, I think I think also like let's say you're the person that is um, that does get deflated by, you know, not achieving their goals. I think you can probably become more like the person like Sarah Hall, because I know in, um, you know, through all our podcasting and book reading and, um, you know, hearing these these messages from the elites, like because they set big goals and they put them out there, uh, it like it seems like. I've been kind of learning to be the other way because it used to be I would keep my goals a little secret. I wouldn't even tell my coach actually what my real goal was. <laughs> <laughs> Which, uh, well, if he's listening, um, I guess now he knows. Uh, <laughs> Ten years later or something. Um, but yeah, so I, I think that it doesn't mean because you're a certain way right now. Like sometimes, it, you know, our experiences change us and not that we have to change, but sometimes we do change or we try something different. Well, and one thing like we were kind of talking about is you were saying, you know, well, we had an A, B and C goal, but it was actually just that's one goal. The one goal (laughs) is this is the time I want to run. And then you have an ABC for that time. So focusing on having like three different outcome goals would be helpful. And then having ABCs for each of those. Um, And that might be a way to like not have the whole emphasis be just on time and it kind of diversify a little bit. That's actually a really good idea. It's a super good idea. We'll have to we'll have to work on that um, this summer. <laughs> yeah. Um, something that's very interesting in the uh, sort of training advice, and I'm sure Liz will have something to say about this, is you talk about focusing on strengths rather than weaknesses, because you know we've tended to go, oh, my weakness, my personal weakness is nutrition, so. I've tended to focus a little bit on that and being older, uh, protein intake in particular. And and we've tended to focus in on our weaknesses um, in terms of trying to deal with that. But you actually come at it from the other end, say, if you're strong at something, you should maybe focus on that. Yeah, I think, it, you know, and this is kind of that glass half full sort of mentality too, where it's like, if you can become self-aware and know what your weaknesses are and what your strengths are, instead of focusing entirely on your weaknesses and neglecting your strengths and rather focus more on your strengths and dabble in those weaknesses. And you'll build up those weaknesses to become stronger over time, but you're not constantly in a, in a cycle of focusing so much on the areas that you're not good at that you forget about what you're actually good at. I I think that um, this is also very applicable for someone who's injured, right? So for someone who's going through an injury, instead of focusing on what you can't do, focus on what you can do. 
Um, and I think that that is where I kind of was able to take that advice and then carry it over into actual training as well. So taking it beyond just the injury and into, well, why not just do this all the time? Um, and you know, it creates a more positive approach to what you're trying to do. It does. I think also like in terms of running, you know, we always kind of get, I think, sort of lumped into one category where either, you know, endurance monsters or we're speedsters. And then when we're like whichever one we're not like then um, I I guess the mentality is, well, we got to work a lot on that. I mean, sometimes that's not really what we like the most. So you get a little bit uh, demotivated is what I've found. Liz is just looking for an excuse to drop her trail running um, <laughs> sessions. <laughs> I'm really terrible at trail running. Like it's, it's, it's just too much for my brain to handle. I have to process like where to put my feet all the time. I, I don't have to do that on the road except, <laughs> you know, to avoid a pothole here and there. So, Yeah too funny. No. And I'm that way. Like speed is definitely the area that I like the least. And so, um, you know, track sessions in particular. And so what I try to do is I try to do like two a month and then that way I'm kind of not getting too far away from it, but I have enough other stuff that I can have fun with it. And I don't super dread every single week. Yeah. Talking about talking about nutrition, I was talking about nutrition okay, just yeah. earlier in terms of my weakness. I noticed a very nice table in the nutrition chapter, apart from all the yummy recipes with color photographs, pretty good. A very nice table called Prime to Peak, where you actually give some, not so much eating habits, but more nutrition habits in terms of leading up to the race, uh, race day and during race, etc. where it was a very nice little, okay, so what should I eat the night before? Well, in theory, you should eat this kind of stuff. And in practice, Neely does this, which I thought was very, very cute. You got the... Um, the theory. The theory <laughs> and the actual practical application of the theory and the insight. And it was very concise and, 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 and very neat. And, you know, if you're thinking about what to do going in to the end of your race uh, training cycle and then into race day and then during race, it was all there in a very neat table. Would you like to just give us some key tips out of that? Totally. I think that it's so important to make, create information that people can soak in and be like, oh, I could totally do that. That's easy. That makes sense to me. Um, you know, there's, you, there's whole books written about fueling and what to eat, you know, before, during, and after, but there's also so much in-depth information, um, that it can get overwhelming <laughs> and, Uh, I think that it's a lot more applicable when it's just, okay, here are a few things to focus on that you can try in training that you can dial in so that you know what sits well in your stomach the night before a long run will also sit well in your stomach and fuel you to a successful race and find something that you can get anywhere. Because when you're traveling for a race, you need to be able to, you know, go to a restaurant and get X, Y, Z that works for you. And it doesn't have to be the same thing, um, you know, for me or for you, but it's figuring out who you are, what you need um, and what works and then stick with it and, you know, don't mess it up. (laughs) Yeah. We we can only control so many things. Right. And if this is one thing that you can control, then why wouldn't we do it? 
And I guess also like by practicing different foods, like the night before your long run and stuff, then you might have like a couple options instead of just being like, okay, I just, I have to have pasta with tomato sauce that has no spice in it, you know, which is usually easy to find at marathon uh, destinations, but uh, you know, it could be something else. It's not so easy to find. Uh, in the um, chapter four, so y- you do touch on like the importance of eating enough and some of the symptoms of low energy availability, uh, like getting constantly injured, trouble concentrating, uh, fatigue, those kinds of things. So, I mean, I know that, um, you know, like in recent years, a lot of people talk about low energy availability for athletes and especially women, but in your experience, because you are a coach as well, do you find that like when athletes have these problems, is it usually that they recognize these things in themselves? Because things like disordered eating, it's a bit difficult. And, you know, most of the time, I think people, you know, they can, it's easy to hide from everybody else. So what's your experience with athletes kind of being able to recognize if, uh, you know, if they have these tendencies, or is it usually like a coach or family member that will recognize their habits and then bring it up to them and then they get help? Like, how, how do they get from the point of, of having like maybe disordered eating or an eating disorder and then getting help for that, if you have any experience with that? Um, I am working on an article about this right now. Um, oh. so this is conveniently time. There was, um, an Olympic athlete who just a uh, male Olympic athlete here in the U S who just posted on Instagram about how he had been experiencing reds or relative energy deficiency in sport, which is kind of the longer term consequence of low energy availability and the dietitians and sports psychologists that I've been talking to have said that, you know, there are a few different pathways it can take. And one is completely unintentional underfueling, like just lack of knowledge about how exactly how many calories and carbs you do need uh, for fueling, which I think is easy to do. And Neely can probably speak to how many of her runners she has to educate about this or, or refer to a dietitian, because I think especially the higher your mileage gets, the, the easier it is to just kind of fall behind. Um, and then you kind of get into a camp where, oh, well, I'm losing a little weight. I'm starting to get a little faster. Maybe I'm not having disordered eating necessarily, but I am intentionally kind of restricting what I'm eating because it seems to be working. And then you get to the third step, which is more disordered eating or an eating disorder. And if, if you are a person who doesn't have kind of the under the, um, other predisposing factors to an eating disorder, you might start to see the negative consequences, like those symptoms that you, that you mentioned, Liz, and you might get help and start to pull yourself out of it with, without any sort of long-term consequences, you might realize, oh, wait, I made this mistake. I didn't realize now I'm going to get back on the right path, start adding in more fueling, and that's going to help my running. Whereas if you do have some underlying risk factors for an eating disorder, that's where you can have some real psychological resistance to making those changes that are going to be best for your running and your health in the long-term. And that's where you really definitely want to see a dietitian, a sports uh, psychologist, people who specifically have experience in working with people with eating disorders or disordered eating. So it can take a number of pathways. Um, but so I don't, I don't have percentages on who falls into which camp, but it's probably more common. All of those are probably more common than we realize. It's pretty interesting to hear you have an article from a male runner because you, we often, I think hear about it in female runners and not so much in male runners. Yeah. 
in a few years ago that um, they changed the definition of, you know, it used to be called female athlete triad because it was yes. uh, the three symptoms. And one of them was loss of menstrual cycle, but now mm-hmm. it's called reds because they recognize um, health experts recognize that it affects men. It just, they don't just just usually don't have as easy of a sign to, to identify it by. So it's sometimes even harder to, to track down in men, pin down in men, both because they're um, sort of socially uh, unaware that this could happen to them too. And also because mm. some of the physical signs are a little bit different. I mean, for fear of causing a controversy and we can always delete this section or we'll keep it uh, just between ourselves. Do you reckon guys have it easy compared to the ladies? Because they kind of have a, steady hormonal situation you know they're not they're not in a fluctuation uh cycle to to monitor and and follow you know i read i read chapter part two of the book and found it all fascinating and interesting but you know <laughs> have no personal experience with menstrual cycle and uh running while pregnant and you know my conclusion at the end of that is poof that's kind of uh an extra piece of the pie to deal with maybe guys have got it a little easier I do think that it's less complicated um, as a male athlete. Um, you know, you don't have to think about things like unexpected pregnancies derailing your goals. Um, of course, we can all still struggle with injuries. Um, we can all still struggle with hormone imbalances. Um, you know, I've worked with several males who have had extremely low testosterone, um, which has significantly reduced their ability to recover, um, from, uh, their training and has set them back from their goals. Um, I've had male athletes who have had low iron, which is really challenging to get a doctor to, um, even test for sometimes because they expect that would only be in women. Um, so there's certainly difficulties that males can have, um, you know, surrounding hormones, um, and fueling. Um, but yeah, the, the, the pregnancy and the, and the postpartum, um, side of things, you guys do get a little bit more of a, an easy go there. So I guess since we're on the subject of hormones, I can ask this question. Uh, So in the book, you shared um, that you like to arrange your training schedule uh, and have your recovery week like in the um, in the week before your period, because that's when you feel like the most fatigued. So it's sort of the the best place to put it um, so that you have less of a training load that week. Um, but like, let's say somebody like my cycle is not always the same length. It like can vary by, you know, four days. So it's hard to put the recovery week in the right spot. So do you have any tricks? Like, I'm sure I'm not the only one, but thought maybe cause you, you know, you've coached so many female athletes, maybe like you have a, a trick to sticking the recovery week in the right spot. <laughs> I wish that it was that easy. Um, (laughs) You know, of course, a normal cycle isn't always 28 days. Um, So I forget the exact, um, uh, Cindy, do you know what the exact like normal, it's like 10 day swing or something. Um, Yeah. And so when it comes to, you know, having that period and kind of figuring out where you're at and when you feel the worst and when you feel the best, it often comes down to how you feel each day. 
And you can kind of recognize when you're entering that phase where you're not going to feel as good. Um, that's of course way more challenging when you have a coach, um, who's not your husband. And, you know, I wake up and I'm like, uh, I feel terrible, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, yep. Okay. Sounds good. Um, but that's not always the case for everyone. Um, and so I think the biggest thing like with some of my athletes is to communicate with, um, me and have them let me know, Hey, you know, I, I feel like things are coming a little bit early and like, I'm starting to feel, um, you know, that, that fatigue kick in and the soreness and the lack of recovery. Um, and I think I need to back off, um, you know, a few days ahead of when I was scheduled to, or whatnot. Um, or the flip side, you might be feeling good and you're like, yeah, actually I'm feeling pretty good. I think I can get in like that full long run. Um, and then maybe next week's the week that we need to back off and reduce the volume and intensity. Um, so I think the key is to be really flexible. Um, you know, our body's going to show us when it's under different stresses and that stress could be training related. It could be life work related. It could be family related. It could be lack of sleep. It could be travel. Um, it could be an illness. There's so many different things that can play into it. And so it's important to recognize that it's not always going to be exactly predictable and that's normal and that's okay, but we need to listen to the signs, um, and adjust accordingly as we go. That's, um, that's good advice, I guess. Uh, and it's more hard to implement, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. guess I'll just keep on trying. Uh, I think, um, maybe this is a good opportunity also, because I do, um, I do have, you know, friends that have had kids and, and ran through, um, through pregnancy and then gone back to running postpartum. And maybe it's just worth uh, giving us a bit of your experience, Neely, when, you know, the different, uh, the differences between your first pregnancy and your second pregnancy, because you did mention in the book that, um, you know, running during pregnancy with Athens was not the same as with Rome. And then even like getting back to running afterwards was very different uh, with the two. So um, maybe you just want to highlight some of the differences you experienced because, Uh, I guess everybody's really different, but it's interesting that you are the same person and you had two extremely different experiences. Yes. And thank goodness I did, because we actually happened to be writing that chapter during my second pregnancy. And so I was so grateful that I had two different experiences to call upon. Um, I think it would have been a lot more negative um, had it only been my experience with Athens. um, And I wouldn't have had as much of a positive spin. Um, But yeah, so my experience with Athens, I mean, I I got pregnant with him coming off of a five-year pro career, very successful. Um, I had, you know, just finished up several second and third place finishes at U.S. National Championships. And I was training for the New York city marathon, I got injured. Um, and I just, I wasn't able to pull it together. Um, and ended up just kind of calling it withdrew from the race. And in that recovery period is when I was like, you know what, I'm just, I'm sick of the cycle of, you know, get fit, work my butt off, get hurt, get fit, work my butt off, get hurt. like it was just really, I was, I was just needing a break, I think mentally, um, and physically, obviously, because that, um, injury cycle was kind of becoming my norm. And I hadn't actually taken like an extended amount of time away from training since I started at the age of 13. Yeah. 
I, I was, you know, many, many years into pretty high level running. Um, and that being, you know, my main focus because it was my career. Um, and so I ended up getting, uh, pregnant pretty quickly, um, which I was very grateful for. And I early on had to adjust my goals and expectations for my pregnancy and for running. I just never felt good running. I felt like very fatigued. I was always overdoing it, even with very minimal, um, very minimal mileage. You know, I might go for a run and then it would take me two days until I could even like go for a walk again. I was just very, very, um, fatigued and my body was just under a lot of stress and around 18 weeks before I even hit the halfway mark. Um, I started to get uh, a lot of lower back pain and SI joint pain. And I ended up just kind of calling it at that point because running was not fun. And if I ran, I like couldn't move for a week. So I was like, I I can either be a normal person and like walk around normally, or I can try and run and then I'm going to be handicapped. Um, and so I, I ended up making that decision and that was really hard because I had never taken that amount of time off from running. And there was definitely like a little bit of an identity crisis that I went through there with having running being the main focus of my life for, you know, the last 14 years or whatever it was to now, you know, not be, and not being able to do it at all. And so then I was able to, you know, kind of figure out a different routine for, for myself. And I was able to get back into running, but my recovery with Athens was much slower. And it took until he was about two for me to feel quote, like myself again, um, which happened to be in the middle of the pandemic. So I wasn't even racing. Um, and I finally had a race on the calendar. I was set, I was ready. I was going for it. And six weeks before that is when I found out I was pregnant with Rome. So I never even got that final, like big race opportunity to really say, Hey, I'm back. Um, I, I ended up withdrawing from that race. Um, and I approached my second pregnancy a lot different, um, knowing that it was the last, I really wanted to make sure that I removed a lot of the stress and expectations. And it helped so much because I was able to compare to my pregnancy with Athens, which was so hard. Um, and the second time I ended up running every single day until I delivered, um, which, you know, felt like such a huge victory to me. And I was fine just running as slow as I needed to. Um, and I was fine running as short as I needed to, I, as long as I ran one mile, I counted it. And so each day would kind of just start out and I would run one mile. And if I felt like that was good, then I would stop and walk home. And if I wanted to keep going, sometimes I surprised myself and I'd run a lot further. And so that was really nice going into, you know, writing this book was having each of those different experiences. Um, and then being able to say, you know, I don't know which experience you're going to have, but either way, it's going to be fine and you're going to be okay. Um, and here's some ideas and some tools to kind of navigate this phase. Um, and you know, have running be as much or as little of a part of your life as it needs to be at this moment. I I don't think you could have a better, uh, sort of experiential, um, chapter um, from that point of view, nearly. Do pro runners get good support from their sponsors while they're pregnant? I was fortunate to have some support um, during my pregnancy with Athens. I was sponsored by Adidas um, going into that, and I had signed a five-year contract 
and that was in 2015. Um, and so they ended up um, sticking with the contract until it ended at the end of 2019. Um, and I was very grateful for that extra support um, that was kind of unique. It was a little bit before the dream maternity movement, which is kind of mm -hmm. now shifting that dial to making this be a little bit more of a standard approach. I think one of the things that we're still seeing, not only in athletics, um, but kind of across the board for um, moms is a lack of support when it comes to maternity leave. And so that is something that I feel there's a lot of room um, for improvement on, and I hope that we can take some tips um, from Canada, actually, who is a pretty uh, leading force um, in the, the pregnancy and um, maternity uh, research, as well as um, support that's provided. Yeah, I know that even in Canada, like depending on which province you live in, um, I mean, in terms of affordable health care, I don't know about the uh, maternity leave, if that's like more standard, but I know that the uh, the healthcare costs are not the same in every province. Like here in Quebec, we've got this, I, well, they, they were calling it $7 a day daycare, but I, I don't know it, I don't know if that's still $7 or did inflation kick in? I, I'm not really <laughs> sure. But um, but yeah, we have sort of a, a price, but then the rest, it's all subsidized by the government kind of thing. So like people won't have to pay uh, crazy amounts, but then uh, the spots are not always available. You have like long waiting lists. Like I have friends that when they get pregnant, they put themselves on the waiting list because that's how long you might be on the waiting list. So yeah, but it's definitely helpful um, if you're not you know if you're not gonna be making a whole lot of money if you want to uh, cause jealousy where i used to work and this is in montreal um the maternity leave used to be if you have a baby you can have one year maternity leave and you can split that any way you like between the man and the woman which i think is so helpful and i was actually very grateful because my husband had um his company has paternal leave so oh, nice. um or parental leave, sorry. Yeah. And so it can be like either maternity or paternity um, leave. And it was 12 weeks. And so he had the ability, if we needed to have 12 weeks off, he ended up taking mm -hmm. five of those weeks, um, which I was very grateful for. And it was very helpful, especially with the second child, um, to have that extra hands um, in those early weeks. But, you know, I, I know that that's um, with his company before this one. Um, it was like, I think they had um, like two weeks and that was it. And so it was definitely um, a really nice step forward. And I feel like that we are hoping to continue to see more progress in all of those areas across the board. Um, childcare, I mean, my biggest expense by far is childcare. I expect that we'll spend twenty-five dollars to $30,000 this year on wow. childcare for our two children. And, you know, Rome is not even in a, a full-time, um, only Athens is. And so, yeah it's, it's a very expensive. Um, and that is by far the thing that I feel like, um, you know, can hold, hold us back. Um, and it, I know that I'm not alone in that situation. Yeah. Um, especially because we have two working parents. Um, and I know that my sister, for example, is a single mom and it's one of the biggest challenges that she faces every single day is trying to figure out how she can, 
afford to pay for childcare for two children while she's trying to work. And then when she's trying to have childcare, um, you know, they're sick and then they can't go to childcare. So then she can't work. So then she, (laughs) you know, it's just like this vicious cycle. Um, I know that there's so many different things, uh, surrounding running and pregnancy and being, you know, a a parent. Um, and so I hope that that chapter uh, in the book can be supportive and encouraging to any mother runner out there who is trying to quote, do it all. Yeah, I guess uh, we'll just say kudos to those companies that offer parental leave, even though, you know, there aren't really any rules, it seems like. Yeah, but, uh, you know, it's getting harder and harder to find employees. So whether you're trying to employ runners or you're trying to employ anybody, <laughs> raise your game. You've got you to raise your game. And so we're doing our little bit to uh, try our to promote public that. service announcement. Yeah, public service yeah. announcement. Maybe we could move on to the uh, the chapter on strength training. Liz and I were just talking about it last night because Liz has been trying some of it out. You know, we've, we've read lots of stuff about strength training and books wholly about strength training. But in fact, we found bits of, bits of your book pretty useful because they're simple, um, they're clear, they're direct, they're nicely illustrated, and they're, they're easy to do without too much equipment. And, and you can do short sessions. Well, easy, like I'm not saying the exercises are necessarily easy, but you know, they're, they're not, um, that you have the equipment. That's why I tried to say simple rather than (laughs) easy. Yeah. And that's what we wanted. We wanted this to be like, it doesn't have to be overwhelming. It doesn't have to be that you have to have a gym membership and all of this, you know, heavy equipment, um, that there are four different, um, routines that we include in here and, some, you, some of the exercises, you don't need any equipment at all. Um, and others are very simple, like a set of dumbbells or a foam roller or uh, a pack of $10 TheraBands. Um, I want it to be something that, you know, people feel they can easily incorporate into their routine um, because there's so much so much that can be gained from including strength training consistently. However, we only have so much time and the main focus and the main priority to become a better runner is to run um, and is to have that, you know, very consistent progression from where you are today to where you want to be with a step-by-step approach that progresses through all of the proper phases um, so that you are physiologically doing what you should do um, to build up all the tools that you need on race day. But that being said, being healthy is one of those key components and strength training uh, consistently can reduce injuries by 50%. So it's really beneficial to include that um, on, you know, a a weekly or twice a weekly uh, routine with having some of these uh, exercises. And so a lot of the ones that are in the book are very like runner specific, focusing on single leg stability work, really activating the posterior chain. And all of those are going to be, you know, exactly applicable um, to when you're running because you're never on two feet at the same time. So you have to have single leg stability and the biggest source of power you're going to get is in your glutes. So having that posterior chain being really strong is going to activate that glute and help you, you know, be a stronger, faster, more efficient 
runner. Um, so I'm really happy to hear that you guys liked the, the exercises that are in there. Yeah, I particularly liked that you give us the option of doing one to three sets because so I've been doing the exercises from Jay DeSherry's book, like the, the back, he has some plans, but if I only do one set and it says three, like I feel like I'm cheating. So at least your book, like it tells me I can do one because, <laughs> you know, sometimes you just don't have time for a 45 minute session, yeah. but like you could do 20 minute session. I know this is my type A brain. Like you this feel is how like Jay is scowling at you from, <laughs> from afar. <laughs> yeah. I can just feel, feel like he's very disappointed. Yeah. So I, yeah. So thank you for making it arrange and not like three times 10. <laughs> I I made an, a YouTube video for each of these. And so I have them on my YouTube channel so that you can follow along. And I actually do the bare minimum, just one um, set of each. And it's five minutes for each one. And I think that is so helpful because I know that you can find five minutes to do this. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you can find 35 minutes to do it. And so it yeah. really helps when it's like, okay, if I do the bare minimum, I'm doing five minutes twice a week. That is manageable. That is something that I can add into my routine. Um, maybe even 10 minutes or maybe even 15 and do all three sets. Um, but you know, I think that it's really important to, especially as you're like creating the routine of consistently getting in the strength training for it to not be an overwhelming amount of time and a large commitment. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad you like the illustrations too. And I just want to circle back because Neely made some kind of comment at the beginning, implying that she was not an organized person, but I just want to tell you all that we found out she was pregnant very early because she said, I need to get the photos taken now <laughs> before I start to show. So she was fabulous on top of it uh, in all of that. And um, I think I personally also really like those routines and have been following along. And I love that you can scale them up. You can use heavier weights if they start to become not challenging for you, but um, you can scale them with different numbers of sets and different amounts of weights. And, and they're great. So now we know why Neely was glowing in the photographs. <laughs> yep. The secret was I was 10 weeks pregnant, every picture. Here, so. There's a whole chapter on, um, on brain work as well as, you know, leg exercises and pumping iron and what have you, which is, which is pretty interesting. And I always trend towards mantras because this was something I found when I started podcasting on running. Ooh, mantras. And I guess I come to the fundamental question is, do they really work? And, um, you know, what are some mantras you could give our, our listeners to help them if they do work? You know, I'm a huge fan of mantras as well. I, I have used these in lots of different races. You know, most recently, uh, last Monday, I ran the Boulder Boulder and their kind of overall um, uh, mantra is, oh, yes, you can. And I will tell you, I told myself that when I was coming up those hills at the end of the race, oh, yes, you can. <laughs> um, and that really stuck with me. So, you know, I think that uh, we can kind of see them um, everywhere, but I think it really helps to kind of have a few key words um, that are really powerful and meaningful to you as an individual. Um, and so, you know, I've 
I usually, for a big goal, um, I will come up with throughout that training block, some keywords that are going to help me get through the training, um, the hard days, and then that race itself. Um, and so sometimes it can change throughout. Um, so for example, in mile one, my mantra might be different than it is in mile 25. Um, and that is, you know, helpful to me because it keeps me engaged and focused. I kind of can switch gears throughout the marathon by switching my mantras as I go. So, you know, I, I uh, share a couple of those within the book, but one that I really liked um, that I felt was really helpful for me was I ran the um, New Orleans rock and roll half marathon in uh, 2017. And I used a mantra called the ABC and I wrote ABC on my hand. And so for the first part, I focused on my attitude, A for attitude. And then I wanted to make sure that I like got off the line and was aggressive from the start. Cause I kind of like to ease into my races. Um, and then B was believe because in the middle miles starts to get hard. You start to kind of question if I'm going to make it, did I overcommit too early all those doubts? And so I had to really believe in myself and then C was commit. I had to commit to the finish when it started to get hard. I need to finish strong. And that was really helpful for me to have that. So I think that it's so interesting that you guys brought up this chapter because I feel like it's something that everyone's always like running is, you know, 10% fitness and 90% your Mental. mind or mm-hmm. whatever um, yeah. and all these things, but then no one actually does anything about it. Um, <laughs> and it's like, well, if you say that, then why don't you actually practice it? Um, and so I love this chapter and it's actually the first one that we wrote, um, was this specific chapter because it's something that I feel like Cindy and I are both really passionate about and it's such a key element to being successful. Um, and it takes a lot of practice. It's not something that just comes, you know, easily and instantly. It's something that, uh, we have to work towards and we have to train our brain, just like we do our body. And there is research too on mantra specifically and on positive self-talk. So there are definitely studies that show evidence that using positive self-talk helps uh, your athletic performance. And one of the the papers that I found really interesting talks about second person self-talk and how using the word you is actually a little bit more effective than saying I, like, like the example that Neely gave, you know, some people have a mantra that's like, I can do it, I can do it. But it's actually for most people on average anyway, a little bit more effective to say you. So my favorite mantra is you do hard things, which I love because it's, it's true. Like I have done hard things. I'm doing, when I'm telling myself that I'm doing a hard thing at that moment. (laughs) And, um, and I can tell myself that over and over, and then it just becomes even more true again. So I think that yes, mantras definitely do work. So I'm not surprised that that's something that, uh, you've gravitated toward Alan. Yeah. Small story. Um, my daughter's a a yoga instructor. She wanted to run a 10 K PR and she said, will you pace me? I said, yes. So she's running. She gets to the, um, she gets to the eighth kilometer and she says, oh, oh, this is hard. This is too hard. This is hard. This is hurting. This is hurting. I said, why are you focusing on the hurting? Focus on your power. You're mm-hmm. a, you're a yoga teacher. Focus on your power. Breathe in your power. And, and she says, yes, yes, you're right. And she started to do it. She picked up her pace. She was able to finish hard and, and, and successful. And she said, wow, 
and I was a proud dad. And she said, oh, wow, that, <laughs> that's awesome. that was fantastic. You just reminded me of something that I know and I understand. And But in, in the moment, it was tough. And mm -hmm. I was able to sort of rewire myself on the run into a, a different a different game plan. So that's my story that. from sort of mantras. I love that. Yeah. So I, I don't know if you guys want to uh, leave the listeners with, uh, you know, a take home message if they're looking to um, to get the book for themselves. Sure. They can find the book on Amazon, on the Human Kinetics website, on just about anywhere you buy your books. Um, and if you want a signed copy by Neely, she can tell you where to get that. Yeah, I have signed copies available on my website, which is getrunningcoaching.com. Yeah, I, I we also love reviews. So if anyone gets the book and likes it, we would love to get an Amazon review um, from them. And that way, you know, if they can share what they found to be uh, beneficial to them so that other people can also see that it may be um, of interest uh, for them. So yeah, I mean, for us, the, the book has been um, such a joy to, to write and to bring forth to the running community and as a coach um, and as a professional runner and as a mom, I think that there's just so much in there. And it's like the book that I always wanted and couldn't find. Uh, and so I hope that um, the, these words and uh, stories and, you know, tips can help a lot of other people uh, achieve their breakthrough. Great. And um, where can people follow you if they want to know what you're up to next? Yeah, I'm on all platforms at Neely S. Gracie, and I'm super accessible. So if anyone has any questions, I always love to talk running. So <laughs> DM me and <laughs> let's have a good conversation. And uh, I'm also on all the platforms at Cindy Kuzma and I have a website at cindykuzma.com where there are links to my articles in uh, Runner's World, Women's Running, all those kinds of places in addition to the books that I've worked on and also um, always love hearing from readers. So, and also uh, really appreciate this uh, smart, these, this conversation, these really smart questions. So thank you so much. This is so fun. Thank you. It's our pleasure. Thank you both for uh, spending time with us. It was really great um, for me. Um, some extra insights, as well as uh, just <laughs> the normal running stuff. Alan um, particularly liked the pregnancy chapter. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I have daughters who are likely to be going that way um, pretty soon. So it's all useful. Mm -hmm. Good to know these things. Mm -hmm. Well, we're really excited, and we hope you guys have a really great summer of training and can work towards your big goal. Um, what race are you running? So we're lining up for, yeah, the Toronto Waterfront Marathon. It's in October the yep. 16th or 17th or something like that. Around those oh. dates anyway. Yeah. That's so exciting. Well, best of luck. Thank you. Thanks Hopefully you'll hear some good news about that. Yeah, um... I'm sure. So Alan, what did you think about the book? Well, let me give my, my summary views. It was an excellent book. Firstly, the book's beautifully presented. There are lots of glossy color pictures, recipes, exercises, and charts. Personal examples and stories from many great pro women runners, including Neely herself. I think here our friends at Human Kinetics Publishers have done a very nice job of producing, you know, an excellent quality of, of publication. 
At the end of each chapter, there's a section called From Barrier to Breakthrough with concrete actions you can take to progress whatever it is in that chapter that you want to maybe work on. Although I don't need all the pregnancy information, it's great to better understand what some of my friends have been going through in the running community and maybe my daughters in the future. The book's perfect for somebody who, who's wanting to create the next breakthrough in their running by approaching it not simply by training more, but by being smarter and working on the overall sort of game plan. I also like to see the boring list of references at the back that shows that the info has been well-researched and is backed up by published data. So all in all, fantastic book. Yeah, I think I'll just add in to the um, to the comments about having all the charts and and uh, exercises and photos. So the training plans in the back are color coded, and the color coded legend is like like there are sixteen different colors. So it it's fantastic. So this book is is a great book with plenty of concrete steps you can take to improve your running. The book is worth getting, even if you don't follow running plans at the end of the book, just for all the other tips. Because really, the running plans at the end of the book are a small part of, um, of the information that you get. Chapter 10 about breathing actually convinced me to work on this when Neely explained that this helped her gauge her pace and she can even know how far she's gone by counting her breaths, which I found really interesting. Uh, I like that the strength training plans have the options for a number of sets. So in chapter seven, where we get the core body weight dumbbell routines, there are five exercises and we can do one, two or three sets. Uh, I guess, based on how much time you have available or maybe like where you are in your strength training. Um, as I mentioned previously, I've been doing um, the Jay DeSherry's uh, strength training programs in the back of his book. And the one thing that kind of bothers me and my type A brain is that, um, uh, you know, sometimes I just don't have the 45 minutes. And I like when I only do like one set and there were three, I, I feel um, I feel like I cheated. Um, Neely and Cindy, they give me permission to do only one round of each exercise if I need to. Uh, although I didn't need any of the pregnancy info, I'm intrigued by the information about performance during your cycle and how to handle some of the challenges. Uh, great summaries at the end of each chapter, which um, which Neely had mentioned that, you know, you can kind of go back to and, um, and you know, re it sort of reminds you of the things that you've learned. Fantastic book for anyone that uh, wants steps to improve their lifestyle and make a breakthrough more likely and also full of great reminders about how a setback is not necessarily the end of your fast running days. Uh, sometimes it's just uh, a setback for a period of time. So a fun, easy to read and informative and useful book. Yep. All of those things and lots of color photos. Thank you for listening to another episode of Running Book Reviews. A big thank you to the publisher, Human Kinetics, for providing a review copy of the book for to Liz and I, and a beautiful book it is too. Big, big thanks to Neely and Cindy for spending time with us today. Oh, while I'm here, just a reminder that we're now on Buy Me A Coffee. If you'd like to help us out or just show some appreciation, just go to the Buy Me A Coffee website and, and search for Running Book Reviews, and you can leave us a coffee. Uh, we'd much appreciate that. If you'd like to give us feedback on how we can improve the podcast or want to suggest a book that you'd like us to review in future episodes, please leave us a comment on social media. We are Running Book Reviews on Facebook and Instagram, and on Twitter we are Reviews underscore Running. Please also follow us on social media to find out about new episodes, when they are released, or you can just subscribe to the podcast on your favorite streaming platform. That's all for today from Running Book Reviews. 
Bye. Bye. Bye.